we all know looking for forecasting or looking at historical trends or even where was it or was it here today or is it here now? It's really important to have a way to collect that data systematically and then share it. And so that was one of the sort of underlying driving forces of having this app exist for people to use. Welcome to the Field Notes podcast. You just heard from Shane Bratt, an extension professor at the University of New Hampshire. In this episode, we talk with Shane about how ArcGIS and Esri field apps are being used by the public to record the occurrence of cyanobacteria in their area. Hey everyone, this is Demaya, and you're listening to the Field Notes podcast, the show where we highlight interesting and exciting uses of Esri field apps. Today, we're talking with Shane Bratt. We'll be discussing the development of the Bloom Watch app, an app that was created to let people report cyanobacteria blooms and that connects with ArcGIS dashboards to provide visualization of collector reports. Welcome to the podcast, Shane. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. So I think maybe just to get started, why don't you just talk about, you know, who you are and then maybe about um, the awesome session topic that you presented at this year's users conference. Okay, great. No problem. So my job at the University of New Hampshire is both in cooperative extension, which is the outreach part of the university, and also in the academic side. So there are cooperative extension institutions throughout the country. Um, Very few of them have somebody whose main topic is geospatial technologies. So I'm lucky enough to be one of those few. And really, I work with folks at the university, but my primary audience are people who do not attend the university. So I think about how the public, and that can be broadly defined in New Hampshire or beyond, could potentially use geospatial technologies and try to think about ways to communicate that and to help people get the skills they need to put it to use in their life. My presentation was focused on Bloomwatch, this app that you already mentioned, which was designed in partnership with a group in New England, which is now national, called the Cyanobacteria Monitoring Collaborative. And it's it's a group of folks from a bunch of different states representing state government, uh, private companies, you know, volunteer lake monitors who gathered together over many years to try to decide what could people do to start to better understand and communicate about cyanobacteria. So there were Many different things that came out of this group, but one of them was the development of this app specifically targeted for or specifically designed for people who weren't necessarily experts, didn't want to spend a lot of time installing fancy software or creating logins and just wanted to be able to take some pictures, have a little bit of information about the bloom and then submit that bloom to uh, the Bloom Watch reports to send a report of the bloom, both to the broader group and then also relay it to the relevant authorities in their states. Um, So the presentation was about the development of that app, but largely also how ArcGIS Online, Survey123, dashboards have all played a role in evolving that app to where it is now and also charting the path forward for how that app is going to be used in the future. So you mentioned Survey123 and dashboards. How were those apps used or implemented into the development of the app? So how Survey123 and dashboards were used in the app varies a bit when you look at the three different sort of eras of the the app development. And uh, it's what I used in my 
presentation, sort of the part where I sat and listened and commented. There's another section where I sort of drove the ship and then another section where I was passing the baton off. So in the very beginning, uh, the first development of the app that I wasn't directly involved with, um, neither of those technologies were used. In fact, there was really no Esri technology used at all. When I became directly involved, we started to use ArcGIS Online as the host for the data. And I was involved with helping that transition happen. I used Survey123 to build the web service, although there was no Survey123 app and no web form, but it was used in the background. And then dashboards were used as a way to display the data and let people go in and see what was submitted and importantly to you know, slice and present the information that was relevant to them. I mean, one of the weaknesses of the, the previous version was that it was just a map that had a bunch of points on it that you could click you know, one at a time and maybe find out something. Where this, the dashboard was really designed to let people go in and select features of interest, types of blooms or sizes of blooms, dates of blooms, and then see immediately what those, uh, what those bloom reports looked like. And as it's going forward, uh, the app is in the middle of transitioning from this sort of uh, starter project or proof of concept to something that's being adopted nationally by the US Environmental Protection Agency. And dashboards are going to be a part of that going forward. The dashboard I built, a lot of the web apps that US EPA has, and uh, the app itself that people are going to use to submit data is now transitioning over to a Survey123 custom app. So that's being designed uh, with Survey123 Connect. It's in partnership with uh, some of the Esri folks that work with the EPA at the federal level. And uh, the idea is it will be a custom app that people can install on their phone, but also that a web form would be available for people to enter data, even if they didn't necessarily have the app on their on their device. Right. As far as you know that that actual reporting app goes, um, I'm always curious about you know what what's considered as far as usability goes, because like you mentioned earlier, you you want to make sure it's it's not this super GIS heavy thing that people have to know about. It's just like they can they can get it, they can report the information they need to and move on. So what were some of those considerations as you were developing the app? Yeah, so um, it's interesting because being one of the people who wasn't directly involved with the coding of the app, I was able to say a lot of things and other people in the audience do about what they really thought, right? It wasn't right. our job to figure out how to make it work. And now in some ways I'm helping in a more direct way with this new app development, although it still is under the, the EPA um, control and somebody, Monique Dulac, who's the one of the GIS people in New England is the one really guiding that process through. I will say that as far as usability goes, it's really important that people aren't left without knowing what to do first and knowing what to do next. Uh, yeah. Another thing that was really important is thinking about, in addition to the pictures and the location, is there any information that we would like to be able to potentially get from people, but with the filter that they're not going to answer too many questions, especially if this is a broad use, um, you have to give them questions they have the possibility of answering well, right? So there was a lot of debate uh, between the various stakeholders over years about 
what could we ask people? What might be useful? And what could people answer well with little knowledge? So the three main things that were considered useful for blooms were the size of the bloom. And we did it with relative sizes, you know, smaller than a car, between a car and a tennis field that people could have some sort of idea without saying how many square feet of a bloom. I know I'm terrible <laughs> at estimating the square feet or square meters of things. Also, what was the lake condition on that day? And what were the weather conditions? Because those two items are factors in the development of blooms or, or uh, also the growth of cyanobacteria in the lake. We felt like those might be useful to collect, that people would be able to assess in the moment what they are. Um, and then we didn't want to ask too much more than that. So it was, there was temptation to let it drift in the direction of, oh, we could also add this. Oh, we could also add that. Oh, if we only had a login, then we could track the way people did these things. And uh, there was actually wound up getting partitioned into two different potential apps. And the complex one with a login that all of the people would record their data when they were scientifically sampling in the field got abandoned because people just felt it wasn't as useful for our group. And also there were plenty of other examples of those that already existed. But the idea of this simple app to report for the general public, that was something people able to do relatively easily was really what wound up being the direction that the group decided to spend its effort and resources in. You know, that's, that lines up with what we hear, right? Like even in our day-to-day -day lives, if we're asked by someone or some organization, hey, fill out this survey, like when I tap that survey, like what are the barriers for me to even get started? Am I going to open it up and see 20 questions? Then I'm probably not going to help you out. But, you know, I think being intentional, which sometimes takes those like long drawn out meetings of, well, what are the three biggest questions that we need to ask. Like, I think that's, it's really good to put into practice. So yeah, you definitely answered my question. Right. Um, I guess the other thing I would say is that, you know, how do those discussions happen? What's the venue for that? And what are the vested interests right. of all the people involved? Mm -hmm. It is going to be different for each project and each group. And that, you know, the cyanobacteria monitoring collaborative, most of the meetings in person, and this was years and years ago, were, were hosted by the EPA in the region, which it's within a three hour drive of all the state capitals. So people did gather from state governments, from local associations, from universities and came together in the same room to talk about it. And I, I there were very different viewpoints that were expressed in that room. And so I don't know that the answer was satisfactory to every single person in that room, but I think Framing what the goal of that app was turned out to be really important to determine what it could do. That sounds like a very simple and obvious statement, but I'm sure you've been in many discussions where that it takes a long time to get right. to that idea of it could do all of this. What do we want this to yeah. do? If it starts to drift too much. Well, that's a different app or that's a different survey or because we're meaning it for this audience and this use. And if you're not thinking through that carefully, chances are, especially in something like this, people just aren't going to use it at all. Definitely. Yeah. A lot of times getting to that kind of simple look or conclusion definitely takes months or maybe even sometimes years of kind of preparation and conversation and kind of weeding out what's, what's important, what's not important, what should we include? So 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So peek behind the curtains a little bit. Kind of speaking to that and maybe giving more context to kind of some of the goals that went into developing this app. Could you talk a little bit about what cyanobacteria blooms are for those who may not know um, and what, what the importance is of kind of studying um, and having this app available for people to kind of record their existence and occurrence? Cyanobacteria are, are cyanobacteria is a topic that many people don't know about until they do. And then yeah. once you see or hear about cyanobacteria, they're almost everywhere that you look. So. Uh, cyanobacteria are types of phytoplankton. People call them algae. I don't like to because they're not algae, but people also call them harmful algal blooms that are in largely in lakes. Uh, they can be in rivers or you know ponds or reservoirs, uh, freshwater bodies that grow in response to environmental factors. So it could be it's often nutrients. The amount of nutrients in the lake drives the growth of these of cyanobacteria, the amount of light, the wind, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why they grow. But when they grow, especially when they start to dominate in a lake, it can become very hazardous because they produce a variety of toxins. Um, They don't always produce toxins, but sometimes they do. And those toxins can hurt animals, fish, cows, humans. Um, there haven't been a lot of human deaths, but there have been some. And uh, the impact on wildlife and also, you know, livestock is probably even more dramatic. the The reality is that these are living organisms producing toxins as part of what they're doing, which makes it a bit different than you know pollution, where people dump, you know, specific toxins into lakes or to water bodies. So it's Thinking about how you communicate about them, manage them, or even get people to know what they are and why they should be concerned about them can be a bit tricky. Uh, The importance of being able to have people in the public easily submit uh, reports or bloom, and we don't like to say cyanobacteria blooms, but we say cyanobacteria bloom reports, right? Because uh, part of the idea is that most states, although not all, have an organization that, or multiple organizations that have a responsibility to respond to Bloom reports. So Bloom Watch is a way that you can take a picture, put some basic information, send it off, and then the relevant organization authority is supposed to respond in the way that whatever those states determine is the way that they respond to Bloom. So often they'll send people to look, or they might have a situation where they might say, okay, this looks like a bloom, but we're not exactly sure, send us samples. There's a whole bunch of different approaches in different states. And that was the real driving force behind even the idea of why an app would be useful because as folks gathered from all these different states and the EPA really wanted to know, and the person who was the most responsible for this in the EPA was uh, Hillary Snook, who works out of Region 1 EPA. He would coordinate the meetings and say, what can we all do? How can we respond to this? Even though each state has its own approaches, each entity has its own approaches, what are some unifying themes or tools or techniques that we could use? And at the time, it was very much thought that having people be aware and have the ability to easily document and then send that information on to the appropriate person was a key 
tool in the response and the general education to keep people aware of what are cyanobacteria and think maybe the most important and what motivates people is how can they respond or what can they do? Because often people will find out about a problem and they'll say, well, what, what can I do now? You can't snap your fingers and make the cyanobacteria go away. And, uh, they're in every lake. It's just about when they could potentially become a problem that's important to document, but at least it allows people to have a way to be involved and also to start to accumulate that background level of data, which we all know looking for forecasting or looking at historical trends or even where was it or was it here today or is it here now? It's really important to have a way to collect that data systematically and then share it. And so that was one of the sort of underlying driving forces of having this app exist for people to use and having buy-in from different organizations, both because they wanted that utility and also because they were involved in the planning for it. Definitely. I think there's something very powerful about allowing people to understand that they do have some agency and kind of understanding or maybe sometimes um, influencing the world around them. And I Uh think on this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, field apps in particular um, and GIS on your, uh, on a phone lets people have kind of a little bit more power in in their hands when it comes to, I guess, understanding the world around them. So I think that's definitely also apparent Uh in this application as well. Right. And Well, I was going to say, I agree the idea of having it on your phone seems to be really powerful to people. And that uh, seems to connect, well, people have their phones. Most people have their phones all the time, right? It's not mm-hmm. everybody. And <laughs> there are some volunteers in Rhode Island that go out in kayaks. So they're not necessarily willing to bring <laughs> bring their phones with them out on the lake, I guess. But it's it's something that people have. And the other interesting part about that is once you submit the information, can you see the results? Or if you wanted to check on something, yeah. I mean, we know about traffic on online and how important it is to make things available in a mobile format. So long before it was built into dashboards, which it is now, I real I made sure that all of our dashboards had mobile friendly versions because I knew that if you want you submitted data, you also want to see it right there on the phone. And there was there's even a link directly from the app as it currently exists that brings you right over to the mobile dashboard version of uh of the Bloomwatts report, so people can see right there what they just submitted or other Bloom reports around them. And it'll be interesting to see how maybe that could potentially be more integrated in this new version that will be coming out hopefully sometime later this year. I don't know. That's part what's interesting about moving the technology to, you know, survey one, two, three connect and having the app itself also be, you know, Esri software based might open up potentially interesting possibilities for that. And kind of on that subject of that next step, right. You know, doing that survey one, two, three integration, kind of uh, this new app, what are some maybe improvements or updates uh, that you're hoping to make moving forward, or maybe some different things that you've learned from since, since your initial app. Mm-hmm. And just, I said this in the beginning of my presentation, I should have said this earlier in the podcast. It's not just me who's doing this. There's there's a lot oh, of other yeah. I, I, It's not your fault. I should have started by saying this, but- You mean you I didn't have... develop, come up with the initiative itself? You've reported everything <laughs> you're on your own? <laughs> exactly. 
Well, I made a, I was thinking about how to talk about this in my presentation. So there's a slide that says it's me who's giving the presentation. Then I had another slide that had, I don't remember, 15 other people who have been involved in this. So I'm happy to answer of why, you know, when you say you're doing it, I'm answering on behalf of like an integrated group of right. a whole bunch of people over many years. Um, Monique and Hillary are the two that are most directly involved right now, sort of the behind the scenes. But um, I just wanted to to say before I went any further, totally. <laughs> it's not just me. As far as what we'd like to do with this new version, there have been um, over time as you, you use an app or you see people use an app and you talk to them, there are things that emerge as mm -hmm. potential improvements. There's also some things that we've known would be nice to be able to introduce, but either didn't have the technology or didn't have the, the time to do it. So one of the things that was really interesting that I was involved with as part of the process was translating the app into Spanish and making the dashboards available in Spanish as well. We had some folks from Southern California talk to us and reach out saying, you know, we work with lots of communities here, but even across the border in Mexico, and it'd be great to have it in another language. So the app developer figured out how to do that. I helped with the translation. And I also use a little trickery with multiple dashboards in arcade and <laughs> wrapped in an experience builder to have a Spanish version of the dashboard as well. But then you know, folks got in touch with us from Switzerland and said, well, what about other languages, right? Wouldn't it be nice if it was in French or German or we'll help you translate it? But there wasn't a wonderful way to do that in the current app infrastructure. And I know that Survey123 now has uh, multiple language support. I honestly don't know how long that's been there, but there's the ability to add a bunch of different languages in the survey so that people had more of a choice of just one. So that would be something that would be interesting and useful going along, especially to increase engagement and also accessibility of it. Uh, another, probably the main uh, improvement that we hoped for, which we might've been able to do previously, but is now a really integral part of the way this is working is trying to use a lot more processing on the cloud to do some of the types of actions that we, now we're sort of putting in the hands of people using the app. I mean, right now you have a drop-down menu for state, right, and city. We could have maybe tried to do something with geocoding in the past, but we just, it was simple to have people fill out the city and the state. Well, now there's a lot more thought and focus on, well, maybe we can even eliminate that part from the app. I mean, that isn't a lot of information, but it's some. Why ask people that when we can figure out the city and the state and the country, by the yeah. way, the app doesn't currently have um, a country listing in it, but we could do that maybe behind the scenes, which means that the experience for the user would be easier. Um, another one, which is something that the app has had all along, is the idea of, you know, how do you also report, in addition to submitting it to the Bloomwatch data set and dashboard, how do you report it to individual states? Do you expect the states to be constantly monitoring your dashboard <laughs> in order to see reports? So there has always been a, the ability to email a report after it's submitted. And for a while, there was a curated list of, you know, these states want the emails to go in this place. 
but we did it so early that sometimes it was individual people's emails that were associated with that. And over time now, most states have some email address that's the official submit bloom here. So the problem still in the current app is that it requires user follow through to send that email, which people do, but why not make that automated? Right. Mm, right. So uh, even back when it was called Microsoft Flow and what it's now Power Automate, right? Is yeah. that what it yep. is? Yeah. I knew that could be done, but it wasn't, it didn't happen in that transition to ArcGIS Online. And uh, now it's a really key part of what they're working on all along. So it is going to be designed so that you don't have to additionally send an email to send your report. It's going to happen automatically in the background based on a list of entities that is maintained by the EPA as, you know, you're in this location, here's the entity that's responsible for responding to cyanobacteria reports and have that happen in a streamlined way that's automatic, that does not require the user to do anything other than just submit the, the point the first time. And out of all of the different improvements, I think that that is probably the most important one. The last thing you want is people submitting the reports and then having it or through the app and then needing to do an additional step. Or we had one person that said, well, the, my email isn't set up on my phone. I don't know how many people still have that situation, but this person didn't even have their email account on their phone. How am I going to send it to the state? So I think the integration, the final thing is the integration with the way that the EPA data flows for water quality and how it integrates with their system and you know how they're going to keep a certain amount of it available for quick reaction on ArcGIS online but then put it into their data storehouse um, and feed all of the other apps and their different analysis that they do that is something that's happening because of this transition which is currently not happening so those all are big positive improvements in the app, both from a, a functional standpoint and actually a lot of it making hopefully the user experience better and the data availability and the data integrity even better than it is currently. So one of the the underlying questions I think that that came out of Bloomwatch and and what is now turning into, which is a going to be a national reporting tool for the Environmental Protection Agency. It is mentioned throughout this relatively newly released uh, strategic plan on cyanobacteria in lakes across the country is, you know, how would you want to create something that everybody in the country could potentially use in a consistent way to collect data while also making sure that whatever states or regions have developed their own tools that it either complements or integrates in some way with those those efforts as well. So I think that that is something that will be interesting to see how it works. I, I do know that from at least the states that I know of, not all of them, but the vast majority of them are using some sort of ArcGIS online, Survey123, something along those lines. So I kept pitching as we were moving Bloomwatch to syncing with ArcGIS Online that, yes, it's nice that it's Survey123. People like, people know about Survey123. They really like it. They feel comfortable with it. 
I said, but the real important part of the way that Survey123 works is that it creates data that live in ArcGIS online. So if you have a bunch of people in different states, we're all using Survey123 to collect data, you could potentially look at all of them at once or pull all of them into a certain thing or you know, display Bloomwatch data right alongside the data that are also being collected by these other uh, organizations. But uh, I also know that there are some states that don't have anything, so that this would be a really useful tool for them in not having to develop something on their own. But sort of the, one of the driving forces for the EPA is trying to understand how they can develop tools that will help and connect people, but also making sure that those tools work in concert with other efforts that are happening at the local community and state levels. And um, having Bloomwatch data available through ArcGIS Online and integrated into their system makes that much easier for the vast majority of states who have, some of which have already developed their own systems, most of which are using some sort of Survey123 or ArcGIS Online data collection procedure. And speaking of that, if people want to learn more about the app, maybe start using it, where can they learn more and get involved? If people would like to get more information about Bloomwatch, they can go to the Cyanobacteria Monitoring Collaborative's website, uh, which is cyanos.org. Believe it or not, that that like nice clean address existed when I was developing the website and buying <laughs> the domain. So it's and if you search for Bloomwatch, which is all one word, little b in the beginning, big W in the middle. I know it's it's odd, but that's. Um, Bloomwatch on most searches will find it, but the direct web address is cyanos.org slash Bloomwatch. You can download Bloomwatch from the Google Play Store and also the iOS store uh, currently. And all you really need to do is install the app. And there's a little bit of basic information it asks you for the first time you use it. Um, but then it's just a matter of going through the several screens, saying where you are, answering those few questions and taking the pictures. And one sort of usability or tip that we learned over time was if you want people to take pictures, you might wanna to suggest to them the types of pictures that they take. Again, seems simple, right? But if you see that we people can take up to three pictures and we even describe the types of pictures that we hope that they will take. <laughs> a little bit of text saying, try to get a picture of this, you know, close up or try to get a picture that captures the lake where you can also see maybe background objects. So or no little... selfie with the lake is what you're saying. <laughs> well, like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we do look over the images and that is yeah. also something that they're really um, thinking They're just really involved. They're, they really yeah. care about <laughs> I've gotten pictures of people's desks, you know, like their stuffed animals or whatever tchotchke, they have, right. whatever thing that they have on their desk when they're demoing them. But um, yeah, it's it, it should be that people who are interested in lakes or on lakes or live near lakes or visiting a lake and, you know, even people who have specific lake sampling jobs. Like just because you're a scientist or just because you're somebody who's on the lake for work doesn't mean you can't use Bloomwatch, right? Mm -hmm. It should be available for, for anybody to use. And going forward, uh, the new release is going to be an app. It's also going to be on those stores. And um, that should be out by the end of this year. We do, we're gonna have to make a transition between the two at some point, but 
Um, yeah, right on the app store, put it on your phone. And the interesting thing is sometimes people don't even know what a bloom looks like, right? We have examples in the app that shows you what they look like. Great. And sometimes, many times people submit blooms that are not cyanobacteria. That's okay too. And that the states get a lot of that pollen on in lakes really makes people think that there's a cyanobacteria bloom. And, and on the dashboard, one of the things that we've also done is after the fact, people go back and evaluate the images. I mean, not every single image has been evaluated, but you know, suspected cyanobacteria bloom, not a bloom at all, suspected non-cyanobacteria bloom, which means it could be duckweed or it could be pollen or so it's also hopefully useful for people both in the app to see examples, but go to the dashboard, click on suspected non-cyanobacteria blooms, and it shows you a whole bunch of examples of things that people thought might have been cyanobacteria blooms, but turns out that they weren't. And that's part of what the states um, also have to deal with is that it's good to get reports, but as we know, then some of those reports are of things that aren't potentially toxic, like cyanobacteria. But that's also part of the education process to get people to understand, okay, well, we saw this this week. We thought it was something. We sent it in. Oh, we're seeing that same thing again. Turns out that wasn't you know, a cyanobacteria bloom. Now I know that's what pollen looks like on the lake. Now I won't be worried about it or I won't send that in potentially. And so hopefully that makes folks more aware and also better observers of their lake. And I will say most people care about lakes in general when they get involved with this, but really they mostly care about their lake, right? And so that's like the motivating factor for a lot of people. Are things safe here at my lake where I use the water and how can I help out to better understand it? And also if something's going on to let people know well, we will be sure to include that link to the website, um, as well as direct links to both of those uh, stores. So you can just go to those direct links for download and we can work with you, Shane, to make sure we update those links once the new app is out. Awesome. Well, I think that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for coming on and talking with us. Well, thanks yeah. very much for having me. This was great. It was nice to to see you in person at the UC. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll get a chance to connect in person again sometime. Right. And we look forward to seeing um, the future of Bloom Watch. Excellent. Maybe that'll be my next presentation. <laughs> there you go. Part there two. You go. Thank you for listening to the Field Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Field Notes on your favorite podcast streaming platform and make sure to join us on the next episode.